because it's Palm Sunday, and uh, I don't know what you, if you know all about the church calendar, but we are in the uh, we've been in, in the church calendar. We've been in the season of Lent, and now we're heading into what is called Holy Week, and that begins with Palm Sunday. And it commemorates the, uh, the scripture that Ian read earlier about Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem one week prior to his crucifixion. And uh, so in the church calendar, we have Palm Sunday, then Holy Week, and then Good Friday, um, and then Easter Sunday. So Good Friday, we commemorate the crucifixion of Christ, and on, Good, on Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Christ. And uh, for me, it all kind of rolls together because... The, you can't have the you can't have the the you can't have the story of Jesus without the resurrection. So it's it's all a celebration to me. But I want to talk on this Palm Sunday about um, asking the question: Would you still follow Jesus if it uh, it it interests me that in the story of if you read the Gospels, um, Ian read earlier from the the Gospel of Matthew. If you read in Mark or in Luke, um, you'll read the, um, a similar narrative. They're different writers writing at different times, so they're not exactly the same. Um, narrative of how Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem um, to celebrate the Passover, and um, he, he asks his disciples to go into the city ahead of him and to uh, get a donkey. And um, so they go to get a donkey, and uh, then Jesus comes riding into the city through the city gates on this donkey. And as he comes into the city, um, there's a, a huge celebration. This crowd gathers around Jesus and celebrates. We call it Palm Sunday because the Bible says they lay palm branches down on the, the road uh, for the donkey to walk on. And they lay their coats down, their cloaks down as well. And it was kind of this, this parade of honoring Jesus coming in to the uh, into the city, and Jesus, that um, you know, he he spends the week through the city, and then a week later, he uh, is crucified. So, how do you what 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 difference does a week make? You go from in Mark eleven, it says Jesus was the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, "Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord." Then a few chapters later, one week later, time-wise, it says, but the mob roared even louder, crucify him. How do you go from praise the Lord, here blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Son of David, the Most High, they're celebrating, they're honoring Jesus, and then a week later the crowd is yelling, crucify him. What happens in a week? to make that change. Well, let me just tell you some of the things that happened that week. You can read about it in the Gospels. Well, the first thing that talks about after Jesus walked through, he walked by a fig tree, and the fig tree had no fruit on it. Um, And I don't really know what fig trees look like that much. I have never uh, been to the Holy Land or the Middle East, so I don't know what fig trees look like. I know what figs look like, and they taste good. But this um, fig tree didn't have any fruit on it. So Jesus cursed the fig tree, and it died within a day. That's the first thing. Then Jesus went into the temple, 
where there's a lot of celebration going on. It's the big feast week of, uh, in, you know, just like Easter, Passover was the big feast week on the Jewish calendar. And, um, and Jesus sees some things going on there that he doesn't approve of. They are merchandising the, the religious festival. And there's a lot of uh, overcharging. Like we could go into the details of what Jesus saw there, what he recognized was going on, how the, the poor were being, um, were being uh, hurt, uh, were being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, <laughs> uh, they were being used. They were forced to come and offer sacrifices, and they were being, they were being forced to pay an exorbitant amount for um, the sacrifices that they would offer. So there was, uh, there was uh, uh, injustice going on there. And Jesus walked in and he didn't like what he saw and he started turning tables over and he made a big ruckus and he got out a whip and he, he didn't hurt anybody. <laughs> but he, 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 he took the most aggressive action that Jesus ever took in his life on earth because he was so incensed with what he saw going on. That's the second thing he did. Throughout the week, um, his authority was challenged by religious leaders. They implied at times, they, they, they had a lot of discussions with him, they implied at times that Jesus was operating his miracles and all the things that he was doing, that he was operating under the, the, the power and the influence of Satan. They, they started talking about Jesus in those terms and uh, kind of murmuring about, about Jesus and his, his source of power. Um, Jesus, in turn, uh, shared some parables that pointed out the, uh, the wicked hearts of those religious leaders. Jesus was not always... He, he was careful not to ever um, name any names, but Jesus was not subtle in his approach to naming evil when he saw it. And so he used some parables and, uh, and some stories that made people in the crowd know that he knew what they were up to. Um, he answered some trick questions. One of them was about paying taxes and tithes. And Jesus did probably one of the most incensing things he said that week was, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes to Caesar. Now, for you and I, if I were to encourage you to pay your taxes, you would not be too upset about that because we have a just government. We have a government that cares about the people and, and um, the funds are, uh, the government's held accountable. Now, you may not agree with everything that the government spends money on, uh, your tax dollars on, but at the same time, there's, there's a sense that we, we are doing good together. But if our government was our enemy, they were our oppressors, they were stealing from us so that they could live more lavishly in Rome and all those kind of things. A foreign power was, was, um, was extracting taxes from us. We wouldn't like that. And Jesus encouraged them to submit to Caesar. Jesus abolished the law, the traditions of those religious leaders while, during that week. Uh, they asked him about the law and Jesus said, really, you can do... You can, you can disregard all those things, just do two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and love your neighbors yourself. And in doing that, you will, if, you, if you live by those two principles, you will fulfill every one of those laws. 
they didn't like that either. Jesus um, shared some prophetic words about things to come. He talked about he talked about destruction coming. He talked about very fierce days coming. He implied to them that the city of Jerusalem would suffer more distress than they had already suffered. That there would be more oppression by foreign powers on their city. They didn't like that. They wanted to hear something different from their Messiah. They wanted to hear about triumphalism. They wanted to hear about uh, restoration. They did not want to hear about more persecution. During that week, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, and Jesus allowed Judas to betray him. Jesus submitted to his arrest, and Jesus did not speak in his own defense. As all of this happens, the tide of public opinion turns from blessed be the name of the Lord to crucify him. Now, it's easy to judge that generation. It's easy to say, my, how, how could they do that? But let's put ourselves in their shoes and ask ourselves the question, would we still follow Jesus if some of these things or similar things happened to us in our relationship with him? What if, for instance, God started to work in ways that you could not understand? You know, the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree is probably one of the most um, difficult stories in the scripture to understand. And uh, you can read uh, different interpretations of it and different ideas about it, but Jesus doesn't really give a lot of clarity to it. He just does it. He just kills a tree. Environmentalists wouldn't like that. You have to get a permit (laughs) to take a tree down, right, Fred? (laughs) Trees are valuable. And Jesus just walks by, doesn't like the tree, and he just curses it, and it dies. Now that's, that's, I mean, it seems relatively small, but what if Jesus started doing things around you that you didn't agree with, that you didn't like, or that you didn't understand? Would you continue to follow him? Is your trust level in God high enough that you would allow God all the room he needs to do what he wants to do? Or would you put restrictions on this far and no farther? What if God started to work in ways that you could not understand? What if your sacred traditions were discredited? This is a tough one. I mean, I, I, if I put myself in the shoes of the religious leaders of, of, uh, of Jesus' day, you know, and Jesus, and Jesus starts discrediting everything that you stand for, everything that you've practiced, everything that you believe, and he starts to question those things, and he starts to cause other people to question those things and, and question our, the motives. You know, if, if Jesus walked in here and, and started questioning me about, you know, all the things that I do as a pastor and all the things that I believe in and all the things that, you know, it's not an easy thing to have someone question you when you have been doing your best. And I have no doubt that the religious leaders of Jesus' day were doing their best. 
But Jesus saw something in them and in their practices that needed to change, and Jesus confronted them over and over and over again, and they didn't like it. Tradition was a major stumbling block for the Jews, and while Jesus accepted their religion, Jesus attended the synagogue, Jesus read from the scriptures, he was considered a rabbi and a teacher, he, he led services regularly, but he did not honor their tradition in the way they wanted him to, and it was a stumbling block to them. What if the teaching of the church, let's say, clearly pointed your shortcomings to, to your shortcomings? <laughs> that might be your reaction. <laughs> you know, we all like it when, uh, when, when uh, the speaker or whoever says the things that we agree with. Most of the time, we like to hear people talk about things that we already agree with, right? <laughs> we don't like it when people talk about things we don't agree with. And, you know, we live in a world today where we have the power to choose what we listen to. You know, I, I listen to speakers all the time. I, I subscribe to some podcasts and that kind of thing, and I listen to the people that I like, that I agree with. <laughs> Sometimes... I have to purposely decide I'm going to read a book or I'm going to listen to a voice other than the ones that I feel comfortable with because I recognize I need to be challenged in my own way. But sometimes, you know, if, if Jesus, you know, when he walked into a place and he would, he would point out exactly what people were doing that were, they thought they were doing good and he said they were doing wrong. Would you stick around for that? Would you stick around? I remember, <laughs> I remember being in services when I was young. I think I might have told you this before. I remember being in services when I was young where the person speaking this had a prophetic gift. And I don't know, back then the prophetic gift always seemed to be negative. Today, at least in the church, there seems to be a positive side to the prophetic gift. And I remember that always... And I can think of this one speaker in particular, I can't remember his name anymore, but he would come to our church and he came to our college and things like that. And he'd, he'd always point to people and say, you! And he'd say, you've got a sin in your life, and he'd name the sin. Well, I was, you know, young man, young teenager, whatever, and I, you know, I had lots of sin in my life. So, because um, that's the way it is, right, guys? Um, <laughs> So I would, I would slink down in my chair <laughs> and not make eye contact with him. Because <laughs> that's uncomfortable. But if Jesus was, was coming in and he was actually pointing out our shortcomings, would we stick around? The Bible says that when Jesus started talking about hard teaching, Jesus said things like, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood, people started leaving. They didn't like what Jesus was saying. That's just, that was disgusting to Jewish people. They didn't drink blood and they didn't eat flesh. And so Jesus started talking about things like that. Of course, he was talking about the Lord's Supper. He was talking about what we celebrate as communion in the church tradition or the Eucharist, some, some call it. But they said, this is too much for us. Blood, flesh, no way. Jesus said to one man, well, if you want to follow me, sell all you have. And he said, that's too much. 
Jesus pointed to things that was hard for them. What if your prayers and wishes weren't answered? What if the things you were asking God for? You know, I believe that when, when Jesus came into Jerusalem that, that uh, Friday and they were celebrating um, his entry, they did that in a lot of towns when Jesus came. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the story of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus couldn't get in because he was too short and he climbed up the tree, you know, because there was this, this huge crowd of people lined the road when Jesus was coming into town. And they, they wanted to see him. They wanted to hear him. He was, had some profound things to say. He performed miracles. They would bring their sick. They would bring their, you know, their, their lame. And all, all those kind of people would come. And so there often was a crowd of people. And the expectations when Jesus was coming in were high. Everybody had their thing they wanted from Jesus. Jesus was known to feed people. He could take, he could take five little loaves of bread and two fish, and he could feed 10,000 people. Now, isn't that the kind of guy you'd like to be the king of your country? <laughs> you wouldn't have to work. You could just be fed. And that's the kind of thing that was going on. And so, so when, Jesus expect, when Jesus is coming into town, their expectations are high. And throughout that week, maybe not, some people didn't get healing that they wanted. Maybe Jesus passed them by. Maybe, maybe some of the things that they had hoped for in Jesus coming and celebrating their festival with them would be something that would be life-changing for them, and maybe they didn't get all that they wanted. You know, a lot of people stop following Jesus because he disappoints them. You hear it all the time. I prayed for this. Why couldn't God answer that prayer? Why could he not have done that for me? And they give up, stop following Jesus. What if your prayers, your wishes, aren't answered? What if democracy turns against what you believe in? We live in a society that has a strong Christian tradition. Um, we live in a, in a culture, in North America particularly, where uh, Christianity is honored for its historical value. Now it's criticized, too, for its historical value. Um, we have our stories in Canadian history about residential schools and other kinds of things like that that were church-led in the past that were horrible social experiments. And we've had to answer for some of those things. But in general, the church is honored in our culture in ways that a lot of other places don't. And as our country moves away from its Christian roots, it's moving towards pluralism. And pluralism means an acceptance of a lot of things. So in both of those, in the traditional view of Christianity as being the prime religion of the country, and in pluralism, in both of those things, we are given a wide berth as Christians to be able to worship the Lord and follow the Lord in the way that we want to. And so we don't have to question whether it's going to be legal for us, if police are going to come in or soldiers are going to come in. You know, I read in the news this morning, two churches were bombed in Egypt as a, as a protest on Palm Sunday this morning, two Christian churches. We don't think about that. We don't worry about that. Because we live in a place that is safe from persecution. Our, 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 our society honors what we do. But what if the democratic choice of the people, because we are democratic and we allow the people to choose, what if the, the public opinion and the democracy chose 
to not honor our faith choice. For instance, in very practical terms, what if you didn't get a tax receipt for your charitable giving when you come to church? You know, when you put money in the offering plate, you get a receipt for it. Government honors that, says that's a valuable thing. We believe that giving money to your church is, a, is valuable to our society, so we'll honor that and we'll give you a reduction in your income tax because you made a, a donation to your church. Same as if you made a donation to, you know, another charity. They see the work that we do as being valuable to the whole society, and so they honor that with tax receipt. What if they stop doing that? Would you still give as much as you give? The other question, bigger question would be, what if the church stopped getting tax-exempt status on property tax? You know, we, don't, we pay no property tax on this building. We pay property tax on the house next door because someone lives in it. But we don't pay no property tax on this building. Now, could you imagine what tax revenue is being lost by municipalities because of, of um, the tax laws as they are? A building of this size on this piece of land? Then multiply it by all the churches in the city? Churches like uh, Metropolitan Bible Church sitting on prime real estate in the city? Or Woodville or some of these other big churches, big co- church complexes in our city? Just think of the tax revenue that's being lost by our city. Now what if we had to pay that as a church. Would you increase your giving to cover that expense? Or would we just walk away and say, take the building? You see, what if our society didn't honor our choice to follow Jesus in any way? What if we became persecuted for the choice that we have in following Jesus? What if it was unpopular? Would we still follow Jesus? That's the question. In the book of Revelation, um, talks about things at the end. Jesus' prophetic words in, uh, in that week uh, link up with some of the prophetic words in the book of Revelation. And uh, some of them were fulfilled in just a few years after Jesus lived in 70 AD when, in fact, the city of Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans, completely leveled. The temple was overrun. A lot of the prophecies that Jesus made in, in, uh, in that week prior to his crucifixion uh, were fulfilled just a few years later. And there's more prophetic words in the book of Revelation that talk about difficulties and hard times and persecution and talks about the people that, that end up in heaven that are, are, actually, um, are actually killed because of their faith. You know, there are martyrs all over the world today. Christian martyrs, people dying for their faith. People died today in Egypt because they gathered in a church. That happens more and more all the time. and We don't see it. We maybe read about it in the news. A lot of times we don't read about it in the news. But Revelation, there's a poem in Revelation chapter 12 that talks about the kind of people that endure all of that because they have a faith that is deeper than the circumstantial things. And there's a poem there that says, in Romans chapter 12, 
talks about how the faithful will survive. It talks about the fact that, that Satan is given, and I believe we're in this time where Satan is given um, freedom on the earth to seduce, to tempt, to obstruct, to persecute. And there's, that's a whole other theological talk we can't give today. And we live in the impact of that, what's going on in that. But Revelation chapter 12, the poem in Revelation chapter 12, talks about the, the, how the faithful survive in that. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across heaven, It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, that's the devil, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him. How do they defeat him? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they are afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Can we stand on our firm belief in the blood of Jesus Christ? And will our testimony be one that is true and stays firm, even when the assault of the enemy comes against us. And don't think the assault of the enemy comes so bluntly and so oftentimes the, the assault of the enemy is so insidious. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he comes in a way with, with little things, with, with words, with doubts, with, with um, grievances, with, with um, temptations, small things. They always start small. Everything starts small, but then it, it, like a snowball, it rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls, and we find ourselves more discouraged and more defeated, and we want to give up. And that's what happened in the week before Jesus died. The enemy was at work. The enemy was there to, to bring dissension, to bring, to bring criticism, to bring lies, to bring doubts, and all kinds of things were going on there to the point where the people that had shouted, Blessed be the name of the Lord, also shouted, Crucify him. Seven days, seven days, the tide turned against Jesus. We live in a world where evil is unleashed and some would abandon their faith simply because it doesn't suit them anymore. Some people would say, I just don't agree or I don't this or I don't that. I, I heard something else and they just flip-flop all over the place and they just walk away. Or their circumstances have been di become difficult. There's been a deep disappointment in their life, a tragedy, something that has happened. Or because they're will unwilling to accept the mystery unwilling to trust. Certainty has failed them. Or because the cross they are asked to carry is too heavy, or just because others have chosen a different path, they too stop following Jesus. The question for you today is, what if 
would you still follow Jesus? Of course, we can't say exactly what we would do in certain circumstances, but we can say what we intend to do. I made a lot of choices in my life. Some of them have been good choices. Some of them are not so good. You know, uh, I don't regret marrying Hope. Best decision ever made. I don't regret having five children. Some people say, crazy. I don't regret one. There's not one of them I would send back. (laughs) And I don't regret the day. And I can't remember the day. I can't remember the moment. I can't remember the words I said. I was so young. I can't remember when I said, I'm going to follow Jesus. But I haven't regretted one day of following Jesus. And I pray that God would give me the courage to continue to follow him no matter what happens. I pray, Lord, help me to stand firm on my belief in your blood, in your resurrection, in everything that I know to be true about you and to be able to stand against any opposition, temptation, discouragement, whatever may come my way, and say, I'll choose you again. I'll choose you again. You may be here this morning, you've never chosen. chosen. (laughs) You've never chosen to follow Jesus. I encourage you to do that. There'll be a prayer team up here later on and and, uh, you can come and you can pray with them and talk to them and they'd be happy to help you work through that, what that means to choose to follow Jesus and pray a prayer that would would help you link there. Or I'd be happy to talk to you at any time. You can write a note on your connection card and we'd be happy to connect with you, to talk with you. But for those of us who've chosen to follow the Lord, we don't know what this week will hold for us. We stand here this morning, we've sung songs, we've praised the Lord, we've listened to scripture reading, we've heard the hearts of different people in the church, and I feel good about that. But what comes tomorrow? What comes the next day? Is it going to be unpopular? It's going to be hard to follow Jesus. It's going to be hard to follow through on the things that we've committed to. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time if you would choose Jesus today again. Lord, you see every person who's standing here today, Lord, you know in their heart and in their life exactly what they're experiencing and what they're saying to you today. Lord, words don't have to come from our lips in order for you to know. You know our thoughts, you know our hearts. And what I see before me, Lord, is a group of people that are saying, Lord, we choose you again and again and again and again. And I pray that, Lord God, as we do that and determine to do that, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would we would receive from you and your spirit the strength to be able to live that out in whatever the circumstances may come in our life, whatever bad news might come, whatever persecution might come, whatever unpopular decisions might be made about us or to us, that we would stand with you. 
I pray that, Lord, everyone in this room would be held by your love and your care. And everyone who's not in this room that we care about, Lord, that we know, that each one would be so protected by you that we would all be there on that day when the heads are counted in the great judgment day, that each one of our names will be in the book and that we would stand there before you that day and we would look around and we would see each other and we would rejoice. Lord, we know it's by your power, it's through your blood, it's through your spirit that we stand. And so we stand with you today, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, and uh, Ian's going to come and close the service, and appreciate that, and we'll see you out in the lobby later.